When I first read that passage from Matthew today, I thought, oh, I'm glad I'm not preaching today. Uh, unfortunately, I am. Um, but today is the, the last Sunday, as Tamara said, in the church year. Uh, it's, next week is Advent Sunday, uh, which has gone very scarily fast this year. Uh, it seems to go faster every year. People could say that's because I'm getting old. Um, well, tomorrow does, anyway. Um, so this last Sunday in the year was designated as Christ the King Sunday. And it was, it was designated that by Pope Pius in 1925. Uh, but he did it as a response to the political situation in the mid-1920s, uh, when after the devastations of the First World War, uh, people were starting to be duped by rising nationalist movements and dictatorships like Mussolini uh, in Italy and uh, soon-to-be very prominent Adolf Hitler in Germany. And their messages of extreme nationalism uh, and accompanying hatred towards some of the communities also challenged churches and over which they uh, increasingly claimed authority. Uh, Pope Pius hoped that by proclaiming Christ's ultimate authority... Uh, would function as a wake-up call for Christians uh, and to nations not being ta- to be taken in by these dictatorships. Uh, unfortunately, we know from history this was not to be. Uh, and in a time where these ideologies threaten our world once again, I think it would be good to reflect upon the choices of the past and maybe reclaim this Sunday as one of hope in a future that has learnt from past mistakes. Although perhaps the imagery of Christ the King uh, is not a useful one. Maybe that was a mistake by Pope Pius, maybe not. But um, I I just wondered, I know Tamara's sort of done this, but she sort of thought of words, well, what you would like from a king. But I'm thinking about images of a king. What would you expect to see from a king? And we've got that one. Uh, was that kind of king you would expect? Yes? No? Yes? No? No? Uh, try the next one. What was the next one? Is that what we think of when we think of Christ being a king? Uh, sorry? Are you getting closer to it? Okay. And I think sometimes when we think of monarchs and kings and queens, uh, I'd say the word queen in there just to make sure that a woman gets in there. And princes, uh, we do have in mind, and princesses, of course, and we have in mind some stories of people and situations that are synonymous with grabbing power and holding power and with the kind of injustice that only benefits themselves. Um, we could think about some rulers uh, in, in our world today, uh, not to mention any names. But, but this is not automatically the case. But throughout history, there's often been true. I should say there's also been many examples of kings and queens throughout history who have governed wise and justly with a concern for the poor. But when we think of kings and queens and rulers throughout history... We think more often about opulence and power and their castles and palaces and rather than service to others. And I think, we're, unfortunately, we still see those attributes uh, in leaders today. Uh, people who rule through fear 
I think we've just got rid of one. Uh, but using fear to divide people in order to control them. Yet Christ is a king who doesn't rule through fear, but rules through love and service to other people. Uh, if we go to the, the next slide. Uh, a homeless, wandering king who washes the feet of those he came to serve. Uh, and that's what he asked of us to do, to follow in his way. Is that really a, an image of a king we can think of? I'm not sure it is. Uh, if you go to the next one as well, which is the feet washing. This is the king who washes our feet. Um, I find it, what well, sort of brings us to our readings today, I find it very interesting, but ever so slightly annoying as well, that the Old Testament and Gospel text, set for this Sunday, uh, seem to have nothing to do with Christ being king, really. Or at least there's no mention of the word king in them. Although Matthew does have Christ on the throne. Uh, and the reason I also find it a bit annoying is I don't really understand the Gospel text very well, I don't think. And I don't think it's really a message of Christ, like, it's a message of Christ judging people and, and uh, judging some people worthy and others not worthy. Uh, and I don't think it seems like a very positive message of a Jesus who, as John 3.17 puts it, Jesus came not into the world to judge it, but to save it. And it seems that um, an image of Christ ruling through fear and dividing people uh, isn't a great one. Maybe we should have the reading from John 13 where we get the washing of the feet. It seems very counterintuitive to me. But perhaps we like an image of a Christ being a powerful king because it makes us feel powerful. But what has this got to do with sheep and goats from our reading today? Uh, I've actually heard many, many passages, uh, sermons from this passage before, and I even looked up a few on the internet uh, to see what other people have said, just so I knew what I was going to say. Uh, and most of them, probably with one exception, were about, A, the sheep are Christians, and the goats are non-Christians, uh, and B, that Christians should be giving to charity more than they are doing. And it was sort of a call to give, which is... Not a bad thing. I don't say that giving to charity is a bad thing. But it seems to me this interpretation is a little bit weak and self-serving. If not downright insulting to people who aren't Christians, who do give to charity and clothe and feed the poor and look after the sick and befriend the strange and visit those in prison. So in order to prepare for my sermon today, I thought it prudent to understand the context a little better. What did sheep and goats have to do with judgment in the context of first century Palestine and Judaism? What did the first hearers, hearers of this word understand as the sheep and the goats, or indeed shepherding? The first thing I found out as I was researching it was, uh, was to do with the differing nature of sheep and goats. Uh, and it's quite astounding, really. Sheep are led by their shepherd. The communal animals, uh, they gather together in a flock and they're led by their shepherd. Uh, as opposed to goats, a goat herd, 
uh, person who looks after goats is led by their goat. It's like the opposite way around. This literally, sheep follow the voice of their shepherd and they trust them to lead them to food and water and safety. And if they wander, which they sometimes do, the shepherd will go out and rescue them and bring them safely back into the community of the flock. Sheep separated from their shepherd and flock are nervous and vulnerable because they have no defensive or offensive survival abilities. A goat, however, doesn't follow anyone. A goat, a herd of goats goes where it wants, uh, and a goat herd follows behind. Uh, so instead of grazing, uh, goats browse. Uh, they forage for whatever takes their fancy. So this could tell us that if we're allowing ourselves to be led, uh, being sensitive to the pull of God's spirit and following the path of our shepherd, we are sheep. But if we are headstrong and go our own way and pulling back against God's spirit, we are goats. Seems to fit quite well to the text. Uh, uh, The thing that God sees in his sheep is a gentle and yielding spirit. They trust their shepherd and they follow his voice. And on the other hand, the goats have a spirit of defiance, self-will and independence from God. And in, uh, so, for the, also, I think, for the first hearers of, the, this, of this message, there is another striking difference between sheep and goats in Jewish theology and practice. As we know, on the day of Passover, the Hebrews sacrificed a lamb, a sheep, to use its blood on their door frames to save the firstborn males from death, as God instructed And this ensured freedom from slavery in Egypt. The Jewish Passover cedar meal and our own communion service reflect and commemorate this redemption uh, for the Jews, freedom from Egypt, and for Christians, Jesus being the redeemer of all people and freedom from sin. So it's about freedom. The goats in Jewish theology, uh, however are used in a slightly different way. Uh, The festival of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, um, uses two goats. Uh, One is sacrificed for cleansing of the people, and and on the other, the sins of the people are laid on it by the priest, and then it's led out into the city, into the hills, where it's backed off a a cliff, and it plunges to its death uh, in the valley of Gehenna, which is uh, the city's rubbish tip. And it's a word that's often used uh, in the Bible to uh, be translated as hell in our Bibles. And it's also where we get the term scapegoat from. uh, Because we lay all these things on this goat and it goes away. So our sins go away with this goat. It's our scapegoat. And I find this idea quite fascinating. Is this what Jesus was getting at? It's probably actually nothing to do with the reading, but I think it does pose some interesting questions. Especially within Christian theology and our understanding of all the sins being laid on Christ as our atonement for sin. Uh, Is Jesus the scapegoat or the Passover lamb? Or is is Jesus both? Or to put it another way, is the way of Jesus... 
sacrifice for our freedom from slavery? Or is the way of Jesus atonement for sin? Maybe both. But it seems to me that Jesus aligned himself more with the former rather than the latter. The way of Jesus is sacrifice, it's about Passover, and he died at Passover for the freedom of humanity, not on the Day of Atonement. So, what could this reading mean for us today? Are we sheep or are we goats? Uh, I feel sorry for the people who have stood on my left, uh, but I'm not Jesus, so that's okay. Um, it's interestingly why uh, left-handed people were so mistrusted in the past because uh, of this reading. So they were supposedly more uh, devil-like because they were left-handed. And they, well, anyway, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But um, I think the question can't easily be answered, though. It's, at least not by me. But there's, a, there's something, I think, about sheep and a goat in all of us. Every time I walk down Canterbury High Street and I walk past the growing number of homeless people I come across, I'm definitely a goat. I get overwhelmed uh, some, by something that just seems so out of my control, a problem too big for me to handle. I can do so little for a growing number of people who are living in absolute poverty. A few quid out of my purse doesn't seem enough. And it's much easier, I think, to choose a scapegoat, to blame someone else for their plight. Of course, it's the government's fault, or it's society's fault that they're there. Or if you believe the right-wing media, it's their own fault that they're there. But Jesus is saying here, no, it's your fault just as you did not do this for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Just one. Can I help one? Can I sacrifice part of myself and my life to help just one? Is the way of Jesus about sacrifice or a scapegoat? In the words of Wesley, am I doing all uh, the good I can by all the means I can, in all the ways I can, at all the times I can, to all the people I can, as long as ever I can? Probably not. But think of it this way. If every one of us helped just one person, could we make a change? Because Jesus is that person, the hungry and the thirsty person. Jesus is the strange and the stranger. Jesus is the cold and the naked. Jesus is the sick and imprisoned. Jesus aligns himself with all those that I choose to ignore because it's too hard to think about a way to help. Every part of me wants a scapegoat. But this is not what God requires. The way of Jesus requires sacrifice. And I'm not saying these things to make you feel guilty, because I do know that we do help. Some of us do give to charity, some of us help with catching lives, some of us do give to the food bank every week. But when I hear these, read these words from Matthew 25, I feel guilty. Could I do more? Could we as a church do more? 
The way of Jesus is sometimes so hard. Yet Christ, the King of creation, sacrificed everything for our freedom. Can we do the same for at least one of these? Maybe we can. Perhaps we could work alongside others. Even those who wouldn't call themselves Christians. Could we work with the mosque? Could we work with community organisations to realise a city, realise a world that is free from poverty and hunger? Maybe all we need to do is be the lamb and follow the way of sacrifice. Thanks be to God. Amen.